For those of you who don't know me, my name is Quentin Stevenson. Well, the passage we're going to be reading today, 1 Samuel 14. The Israelites are facing a trial. You see, there's these Philistines, they have this huge army. And there's these Israelites, they have this smaller army. And that's an understatement. Because these Philistines are coming to wipe Israel off the face of the map. And Israel doesn't want to be wiped off the face of the map. And they have three reactions to how the Philistines are going to come, just like we have three reactions when we face trials, just like they did. The first reaction would be fearful. Look at 1 Samuel 14, 21 through 22. It reads, There were Hebrews from an area who had gone earlier into the camp to join the Philistines. But even they joined Israel, the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelite men who had been hiding in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they also joined Saul and Jonathan in the battle. And for context, I'm going to read 1 Samuel 13, 5 through 6. It reads, The Philistines also gathered to fight against Israel, 3,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and troops as numerous as the sands of the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Belavin. The men of Israel saw that they were in trouble because the troops were in a difficult situation. They hid in caves and thickets among rocks and holes and cisterns. So like I said, the first, people, first reaction we'll be looking at is fearful. The first people, yeah, in this passage, they were represented by the Israelites who were hiding in the woods or their holes. And they were even the Israelites that had deserted to the Philistine camp. And I think today they would be the people that purely identify as Christian. You know, they may know John 3.16 and they may come to church on Easter, but they have no personal connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, what I wrote down here, we as fearful Christians are Christians when it's all good. When everything's okay, we're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I can roll with that. But when we face persecution or hardship, we reject Christ and trust in our own abilities rather than lean on God. We rush in only when victory is likely and defeat is improbable. And I was thinking of an illustration for this, and I can think of no better one than Alabama fans. Alabama fans are only there when the getting's good. Alabama fans, sorry if I'm going to offend you, but the, van, the joke is they're bandwagon fans. They're only there when they have the Heisman or when they win the SEC or when they win the national championship. But once they lose the Heisman, once they lose the SEC, once they lose the national championship, they don't have as many fans anymore because they're only there when the getting's good. And I'm trying to move off that illustration. <laughs> so taking it back, just like bandwagon Alabama fans, we as fearful Christians are good to go when things are going good. But as soon as times get rough, we leave. I'm reminded of 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of self-discipline. See, God does not want us to face our problems in fear. God wants us to face our problems with the spirit that he's given us with him. The first kind of reaction is a fearful one. The second kind of reaction we'll look today is a hesitant one. Looking at verses 16 and 20. When Saul's watchmen in Gebeth of Benjamin looked, they saw the panicking troops scattering in every direction. So Saul said to the troops with him, Call the roll, determine who has left us. They called the roll and saw that Jonathan and his armor bearer were gone. Saul told the priest, Bring the ark of God, for it was with the Israelites at the time. While Saul spoke to the priest, the panic in the Philistine camp increased to an intensity. So Saul said to the priest, Stop what you're doing. And Saul and all his troops with him assembled and marched to battle. And the Philistines were fighting against each other in great confusion. Now, Jonathan's armor bearer had already left, but we're not going to focus on them. We're going to focus on the people that stayed behind with Saul. These hesitant troops 
knew the Lord was with them. And they knew the Lord had forsaken the Philistines. And all they had to do was go up and take it. And they didn't. They were hesitant. Now, I'm reminded we as hesitant hesitant Christians are, would I say, we're the best at the church game. We, yep, we know the lingo. We know the terminology. We come to nights like this. We come to Sunday. We know Bible verses. We even read our Bible once a week. But we're no different when we walk out of this building. We walk out of here unchanged. Yeah, I sat and listened to a guy talk for 20 minutes, but nothing happened. We sing worship songs on Sunday and listen to explicit songs on Monday. We recite the Lord's Prayer on Wednesday and tell that joke we weren't supposed to on Thursday, or even worse, later that night at volleyball. We aren't supposed to live this way. And when I think of that, I think of a famous passage in Matthew 5 that you've probably heard of. It's Matthew 5, 13. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So I urge you to think about that. Why are, why are you here if we're not fully in? Why are we wasting our time here if we're not going to take this seriously? I'm reminded of a study that I took, or took, that I read, that out of 331 million Christians in the United States, Christians, citizens in the United States, 173 million of them profess to be followers of Christ. That's half the population. That's more than half, actually. Yet we don't see 173 million Christians. Why? Because we've become apathetic. We've become lukewarm in our faith. I'm also reminded of a study, another study, that out of 10 Christians, only two have shared the gospel in the last month. You can do the math. That's 20% of us. That's this half, and the rest has not shared the gospel in the last month. It's May the 4th, so I had to put a Star Wars quote in here. (laughs) And the Star Wars quote is, do or do not, there is no try. And he got it right on. Do or do not, there is no try. It's scary how a secular movie like that can get something so religiously correct. Yet we cannot. I'm also, I think of a former president. His name was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He's known for his first term and his second term. No, he's not known for his first term and his second term. He's known for his third term. And what many people don't know about him is that he was indecisive. He became lukewarm, apathetic towards politics, towards his beliefs. He'd say something to one person and say the complete opposite to another. He'd have one foot in one part and another foot in another. And though he had the purest intentions of any American president, he became the second greatest spreader of communism ever, seconded only by Joseph Stalin. I also think of another famous passage in Revelation that many of you have probably heard. It reads, I know your works, and you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I have become wealthy and need nothing. You don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. We have become lukewarm in our faith. We. Me too. I've become lukewarm. Blake, where's Blake? Is Blake Beverage in here? Anywhere? No? Well, if he was, he could tell you the story. I was at Bellevue Los Memphis, and um, we were grilling out Miracle Redemption, and this member there came and said, hey, let's go catch some fish. Now, I legit thought he meant catch fish. Like, we're going to go get some fish and grill it. What he actually meant was we're going to go share the gospel. So 
I go with Blake, we go, and I'm caught completely off guard when we come up with this random guy and he, he kind of throws us out there. So I look at Blake and I go, all right, you're up. I defer that responsibility. Me being up here does not be above y'all. I'm on the same level, guys. I struggle with this too. <laughs> I've been lukewarm in my face before too. And I need to stop rambling and get off this point. <laughs> so we're going to the next one so I can, yeah. <laughs> and I've pretty much had a negative message so far, but this is where it gets good. <laughs> this is the confident reaction. Look at verse 6 through 15 of First Samuel, if I can get back there. It reads, wait, is that it? Yep. Nope, that's not it. Excuse me. <laughs> Jonathan said to the attendant who carried his weapons, come on, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Nothing can keep the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. His armor bearer responded, do what is in your heart. You choose. I'm right here with you, whatever you decide. All right, Jonathan replied. We'll cross over to the men and let them see us. If they say, wait until we reach you, and we will stay there, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come on up, then we'll go up, because the Lord has handed them over to us. This will be our sign. So they let themselves be seen by the Philistine garrison. The Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes in which they have been hiding. The men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come on up, we'll teach you a lesson, they said. And Jonathan says, follow me, for the Lord has handed them over to the hand of Israel. And finishing that story, what happens is they go up there and they cause such great confusion in the Philistine camp that the Philistines panic and the soldiers down in the valley, the Israelite soldiers see it and they join the battle. And the people hiding in the hills, in the forests, in the holes, and even in the Philistine camp see it and they join the battle. All because two men took confidence not in themselves but in the Christ in them. These confident people are the go-getters, the people that climb the hill to meet the challenge because they are confident, not in themselves, but in the God dwelling in them. People are naturally drawn to them because they display confidence, yet they're extremely humble. Because I've never met a person that wants to hang around a prideful person more than a humble person. But most importantly, they are on fire for the Lord, and they are noticeably different. When I think of noticeably different, I think of Acts 4 with Peter and John they, so they set the stage for you, basically. They've been arrested, and they've been brought before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin has asked them questions, and they've given them answers. The Sanhedrin gathers together, and they say, we'll just tell them to stop. Just stop. Maybe they'll respect their authority, because they've grown up their entire lives looking up to these people. <laughs> As many of you know, that's not how it went. In verse 18, they said, So they called to them, and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. I like another translation. Translation, it says cannot. There's a difference between cannot and will not. They cannot. God has done so much in their lives that they could not stop speaking about what they had seen and heard. When I think of a more modern illustration of somebody like that, I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was alive in Nazi Germany in the 30s and the 40s, who, under overwhelming pressure, decided to put his beliefs over country, against his own countrymen. Because, guys, Dietrich Bonhoeffer got it. He knew what he was here to do. All right? God was with him, and he didn't care about anything else except God's opinion. He stopped caring about what other people thought 
He wasn't performing for an audience of many, but an audience of one. And because of that, he paid the ultimate price and died in 1945. Now, I've preached this, and I feel like it would be wrong to leave us out in the dust. Be like, you should be confident, because it's easy for me to say that up here. So I have three quick tips to live as a confident question. Number one would be to stay in the word. Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword piercing both bone and marrow. Guys, we can't be on fire for the word if we have no fuel. It, we have to read the word. Number two, stay in prayer. And this is basic even for us to understand. In order to have a healthy relationship with somebody, you need to talk to them. That's, that's basic. So why do we expect a healthy relationship with Christ if we never talk to him? And number three, stay in fellowship. And this is a big one. Because we all experienced this during COVID. That month stretch where we didn't get to have fellowship with anybody. And we had to stay at home. We're like, yeah, I'm going to come out of this, you know, super Christian. You know, I'm going to read my Bible every day. And that didn't happen for me. I don't know about y'all, but that's just not what happened. All right. I became apathetic in my faith. I became lukewarm. And it took me forever to get back. So fellowship is important for people to pour into you and you and them. People to pray over you and you and them. And so I'm kind of wrapping up, and you forgot a lot. No, you forgot a lot. If you, forget, if you were to forget everything, I want you to remember this. The big idea for the night is God is with us in our trials, but we choose how we respond to his presence. God is with us in our trials, but we choose how we respond to his presence. Do we ignore it and live in fear? Do we acknowledge it but hesitate to follow it? Or do we submit to it and respond with confidence?